And welcome back in Stripe Show Podcast. Midweek, I like to talk instruction. And uh, I've been meaning to get one of my friends on the show, one of the top instructors in the game. He's not in the United States. He's up in Montreal. You know him as Shaheen Nakjavani. How you doing, man? Pretty good, dude. I mean, it's cold, but I'm good. So Montreal right yeah. now is what? 65 degrees and raining? Uh, yeah, about that. I think it's like 60 ish and raining, but the rain makes okay. it feel like it's 30. 30. <laughs> feels, My cold. Goodness. feels cold. You've been busy, haven't you, up there in Montreal? Super busy. Actually, Golf Canada just sent out a memo saying like golf in the country is up 28% for the month of September. So, wow. Everybody's going out and playing right now because there's not really much else to do. You work with, um, a lot of players, a lot of, Skilled players, although you have a lot of mid-handicaps as well. I'm sure a beginner sprinkled in there from time to time. You're currently working with Stephen Ames on the Champions Tour, uh, Dylan Wu, Corn Ferry Tour, Chandler Lanchette on the Corn Ferry Tour, Seth Reeves on the Corn Ferry Tour, some up-and-comers with those young players. Mm -hmm. And you post a lot of swings. You're out there. I take to your instruction. I think we kind of look at things in a very similar way. And you want to follow Shaheen, go to his Twitter and Instagram. He posts a lot of good stuff. It's S H K E E N golf yep. on both platforms. And, you know, when you look at your swings and you look at kind of where things are moving with instruction in today's game, there's some commonalities, right? I mean, there's a lot of patterns and matchups as we talk about, I'm going to list five of them. And I want to talk about just kind of each one of these, in isolation in the advantages that they have. Mm -hmm. The five are the first one is the change of knee flex in the golf swing. The second one is this flexed lead wrist. And when it happens at the top of the swing in transition, the third is the concept of shallowing out the club shaft. We talk about that a lot. The fourth would be the rotational freedom aspect through the impact zone. And then the fifth would be this left exit where the shaft kind of works back underneath the lead shoulder. I want to start with the change of knee flex and tell our audience the advantages of a change of knee flex, losing flexion in the trail knee in the backswing and how that works. Two really important elements there. The first one would be when you extend the trail side. So for the right-handed golfer, that's the right side. What that does is that frees up the hip to make a much deeper turn. So you can create a lot more hip rotation and chest rotation. So like the torso turning in the backswing when you extend that right leg for the right-hander. Mm -hmm. So creating that bigger turn, number one obvious benefit is just more speed. I mean, at the end of the day, you create a bigger turn, you're going to create more speed. But as a combination to that, it's more so the reality of, you know, most golfers slice the golf ball. When you create that bigger turn, you're influencing the hands naturally a little bit more behind you in the backswing, which allows you to swing more from the inside. So it prevents as big of a slice for a lot of golfers out there. You know, it's interesting. I think back to when I was younger, I know I was taught to turn my upper, not my lower. Yeah. Right. And I think even when I first got into teaching, I don't think I ever really taught turn the upper, not the lower. You know, I would let the lower turn through the years and through education. I know my teaching has evolved in much more changing of knee flex. But I do think for years, it would be fair to say that keep the trail knee flexed and turn 
against it and then from there push off. So would it be fair to say as you keep the trail knee flex, it's easier to launch the lower body on the downswing and then the spine takes on more side bend through impact? Yeah, when you keep the trail leg flexed so much in the backswing, I mean, in almost every single case that I've seen personally, obviously you're going to restrict a lot of things that I just spoke about. But at the same time, Mm -hmm. what you're going to do is you're going to make it way more likely that you're going to come out of the shot in the downswing. So you're going to start to, you know, drop the trail shoulder too much in the downswing. You know, your pelvis is going to extend too fast. And that's when like golfers get their weight onto their toes in the downswing and they come out of the shot, they lose their posture and like all sorts of things, bad things that we don't like seeing happen. So creating that like change in reflex, like we're discussing, what it does is it creates that inclination towards the ground which makes it a lot more likely that you're going to stay in posture later, which is why I've never been a huge fan of that restriction. It's interesting how much we could talk about the change of knee flex, isn't it? Like we could literally probably talk for a half hour. Oh, a hundred percent. I could talk about this forever. (laughs) You know, it's funny. Like I just did this event up at the cliffs and we had a more experienced group. If you were, they were a little older as they are up at the cliffs, mm-hmm. retired, but very active, love the game in good shape. And I found myself repeating, you know, change of knee flex, turning the trail hip, a deeper turn. It was amazing how the swing lengthened out and speed just instantly went up. I think in many ways, like it is a speed thing, but it's kind of speed and accuracy really come together when this change of knee flex happens. And when you can blend it with the second one, which I want to talk about, which is kind of this flex lead wrist. Now, flex is, you know, flat to slightly bowed in layman's terms, right? Let's just kind of throw that out there where a lot of people, you know, flat lead wrist, slightly bowed lead wrist or cupped lead wrist. Cupped would be considered, you know, more extended. Yeah. But you look at this flexed lead wrist. Where do you like to see, and I know it, it, it's different for every person, right? I know there's matchups and depending upon how strong a grip you have, but considering a, a, a weak to neutral grip, where do you like to see that flex lead wrist start to occur? And then the benefits of that as far as controlling the face. So the best way I can answer that question is I don't necessarily think the timing of it is as important as making sure that the wrist never moves towards extension in the downswing. Okay. So if a player were, let's say they have that weak or neutral grip, like you're talking about. So they have the ability from a functional perspective of getting into that boat position, right? Mm-hmm. If they do it early and they're going to retain that in transition, assuming the shaft is moving fine, I wouldn't be too concerned with that at all. Like they can do it early and hold it and I'm cool. If they're going to go to the top of the swing with less of that flat position on a weaker grip, they damn better make sure that that grip or sorry, that wrist angle is moving towards a boat position coming down. Cause at some point Mm. you got to get control of that club face. And if that wrist stays cupped with that neutral grip, that club face is staying open, which is going to force you to do something funky at the bottom. Is it fair to say that regardless of the wrist condition at the top, that in transition, that that wrist is moving towards flexion for the best players in the world? I would say that's the case for 99.9% of the players in the world that are play at a high yeah. level. Yeah. It's interesting when you just show them from the top how that wrist should work and the net effect that that has on the pitch of the shaft mm-hmm. and the angle of the face 
and just how that can now increase the probability of their impact position for the better. I mean, that's a huge move, I would say, for the average handicap. Would you agree? 100%. Yeah. Now, part of that is the shallowing of the club shaft. First, define what shallowing out means. So the simplistic way of looking at it would be the shaft shallowing means the shaft angle is getting more horizontal in the downswing, not more upright, where the club head is pitching back behind the golfer. So it's Mm -hmm. the club head is basically dropping behind the back of the player. So when you look at that from a physical perspective, it looks like the shaft angle is getting more horizontal coming down. That would be shallowing. Now, in terms of the way in which golfers do it, uh, it's funny because I have a series about this on Skillist, literally about shallowing. And a lot of the, my point, that series that I made, was less a how-to video because I'm not a big fan for the most part on how-to videos, but more so on if your backswing looks like this, you need to use this variable to your advantage to shallow the club. So like the three main variables that influence the shaft angle would obviously be the wrist angles like we just discussed right getting that lead wrist into more flexion will help the pitch of the shaft stay more shallow for sure there is something else we talk about a lot which is shoulder rotation so that would be you know the trail shoulder so we're looking at as a right-handed golfer's perspective the right shoulder what is that arm elbow joint and shoulder doing so if it moves a certain way it gets the club more shallow. If it moves a certain way, it gets the club steeper. And so, you know, if you want to have a visual on that, think of like an arm wrestling match. It's basically the simple way of looking at it. If you're putting your elbow on a table and you're in an arm wrestling match, if you're losing the arm wrestling match, you are doing something called externally rotating the shoulder. That, in theory, is going to help you shallow the club. That's one variable we can see a lot of players doing. And the last one is just the forearms. Where are the forearms going? You know, when the forearms rotate a certain way, the club gets shallow. When they rotate the other way, the club gets steeper. All of these things play their part in how shallow or steep the club is going to get coming down. So you're not going to allow someone to shallow, in essence, with too much side bend, right? Because we know, like, pulling down, you'll hear a lot. Pulling down, hip bumps left. Right. Right shoulder goes down. Like, that's... That's not an option for you. I would say that that is an option for very specific players who have certain limitations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, shoulder mobility is huge in how externally that trail shoulder can get. If the player has limitations to that, that's going to prevent them from getting shallow. Some players have hip surgeries. They can't open up into the hip as well. It doesn't happen too often, but every now and again, you'll deal with a player like that. That prevents the hands from getting deep, which is going to make it harder to shallow the club. So. Mm-hmm. If the player in a very specific scenario only has the side bend option to shallow the club, I'm certainly not opposed to it. But in a large majority of the people that I deal with, both online and in person, they tend to have too much of that side bend and it gets them too shallow, too late in the downswing, which creates all sorts of problems with the starting direction, mm-hmm. the club path and so on. Let's take a second to talk about the guys and girls over at Encore Golf. Encore has earned a reputation of having the most cutting-edge technology in their golf balls that the industry has seen in quite some time. Their team in Buffalo, New York, is changing the script of golf technology through the perimeter-weighted designs, use of high-density particles, and even a nano-transitional layer in their latest creation, which offers players enhanced accuracy and control 
for every shot on the course in extreme velocity off the tee. They already have their award-winning Elixir and Avant 55 golf balls, but the new Vero X1 is the highest performance ball to date with their full suit of golf balls. They are transforming the game for players of all skill levels. Visit EncoreGolf.com slash Travis Fulton for more details about their products that are revolutionizing the game. Now back to the Stripe Show podcast. Let's talk about this fourth one, which is rotational freedom, right? I believe I've heard you. Yeah, I've used that. I've used that more than a few hundred times. (laughs) (laughs) What has to happen in order to have rotational freedom through impact where a player can just open up and hit it? Okay, so I like to look at that as three main groups when you're talking rotational freedom. And obviously, there's a bunch of micro details within that. But let's say three main groups. Number one is the club face cannot be too open. Every single golfer that you'll see who has the club face too open in the downswing, they will either slow down the body and speed up the hands to square the face up. So that is whether that's flipping the arms over or releasing the wrists early to do it. And if you were to rotate with a wide open club face, the rotation is going to bring in more shuffling. More shuffling tends to actually open the face more. You're going to hit massive push cuts. So in order for you to be able to rotate, the club face very simply cannot be too open in the golf swing. This is a big element. Number two, you need to have the club shallowing. And we've both talked about this a lot online. When a Mm -hmm. player rotates, what the rotation does is it's going to influence the variables in your golf swing in front of you. Meaning if I start to rotate, my hands are going to move in front of me the club is naturally going to start to move in front of me because that's the direction my body's turning in, right? If you have the shaft angle coming down already steepening, it's getting more upright and it's trying to get in front of you. If you try to rotate, that's going to double up on that movement. That's going to cause you to get super over the top. That is not going to lead to good results. I mean, you see slicers all the time who rotate really well. The problem is they don't have the shaft movement working in a way that allows them to turn, but they're still turning. Right. And, and you see this a lot yep. with high handicappers. So you need to have the club shallowing, pitching back behind you to offset what the rotation wants to do with the shaft so that it can stay somewhat neutral coming down into the golf ball. That's element number two. And macro movement number three is you need to have the hands into somewhat of a deep enough position. When I say deep, I mean more behind the body. So the flatter you are, the deeper the hands get. The reason being is no different than the second thing I just explained, which is where when you rotate, the hand path is going to want to move out in front of you. Even if your club face is in a good position and the club shaft angle is shallowing coming down, but your hands do not have enough depth, meaning your hands are too upright, and you try turning Mm -hmm. into the golf ball, those hands are going to get so out in front of you, you're still going to be too steep on the golf ball. With your attack angle, your club path is likely still going to get very outside in, regardless of what the shaft is doing, and it's going to create problems. So those are the three main elements that I constantly talk about as bigger picture things you need to have in your golf swing to allow for that rotational freedom to take place. Yeah, and a lot of those we just kind of talked about in the bullet points ahead of Mm -hmm. it, right? The change of knee flex is going to help lead arm depth and uh, getting the lead wrist flexed, whether at the top or in transition, is going to help get the club face prepared and then shallowing out the shaft. There's a trickle down here for sure. And that rotational freedom in many ways, when you get to that point, man, you can, 
you've got some good things going, which kind of leads us to this fifth one, which is we see oftentimes on tour players exaggerating this move, right? Where they are, it almost looks like they're coming over the top, all of Alex. Yeah, that's definitely Um, the famous video that everyone's seen at some point. And this left exit where the shaft starts appearing under the lead shoulder and the face has a little layback to it where we can see it. What's the advantage of that? As a starting point, when you are leading with the body turning, the hands and the handle of the club will stay leading into the golf ball, not the club head. You never want to get to a point in a full swing where the handle stops and the club head takes over because that's when you deliver too much loft. That's when the club face turns over really quickly. And that typically will lead to a super high ball flight, a lot of spin, and in many ways, very inconsistent start lines because of the timing nature of that. When your body Mm -hmm. is rotating, you're leading with the chest turning. That brings the shoulder joint, which brings the arms, which brings the hands. And that allows the handle of the club to be leading. That leads to more shuffling. That's going to lead to a better compression, which a lot of golfers can use. I would say a majority of golfers can use. You know, it's only really better players that I see that have too much compression that need to remove some of it. Um, And in that scenario there, you're also removing the speed factor of the club face turning over. So you're slowing down that rotation of the club face, which obviously makes it a lot easier to get the ball started on your intended line more often. When I think about these five commonalities, change of knee flex, flex lead wrist, club shaft is shallowing out in transition. I'm rotating through impact. The shaft has some left exit minimal closure rate, all these things. I look at a player like a Jordan Spieth, those things are evident. Like I can see for the most part, all of those things are happening. You know, Jordan doesn't keep his trail knee flex going back. He, he has a flex lead wrist. He shallows out the club shaft. He is opening up through impact and the shaft is exiting left. And yet for the better part of three years, you know, Jordan, can't find it. His ball striking in particular this last year has really fallen off. When you look at Spieth, if he came to you, what would you tell him? So the first thing I would do is I would go through a pretty big breakdown with him on where his swing was in his prime and where his swing is now. And every golfer has a certain DNA. His DNA has not changed from when he was playing his best golf to how he's playing now where he's struggling. I mean, the foundation of his movements are very much the same. There is always going to be, when you're working with tour players, what we call micro details that shift from one week to the next. So like, you can look at a guy like Rory McIlroy, his swing looks similar. I guarantee you his feels from one week to the next or from one month to the next are probably not the same in order to keep his swing looking that way because feels change. And feels don't apply mm-hmm. the same movements to the same golf swing. So for Jordan, the goal is to understand where is he right now? What is he feeling right now? And how can you change that to get him back to the positions in which he was playing his best golf? In my opinion, he was playing his best golf when he was not so laid off at the top. If you looked at him during his prime, he had the shaft angle a little bit more in line with the target. When he tends to struggle and he hits those like pushy cuts, he tends to get a little laid off at the top which makes it very difficult for the shaft to go anywhere but into a good position that he needs, right? Shaft is too laid mm-hmm. off. It can't shallow out as well coming down. 
Or if he does shallow it from a layoff position, then he's now underneath the plane coming down, which is going to lead to those blocks, right? It's a tendency of blocking it under pressure. And I've never been a big fan of Jordan's grip. Jordan's grip, when you don't pay attention to it, starts to get weaker and weaker. And in my opinion, he starts to getting the face angle a little bit too open. Keep in mind, at the speed that these tour players are swinging, you know, it only takes one degree of a difference to completely throw your entire swing out. You're swinging two degrees from the inside, that's fine. But if the club face goes from one degree closed to one degree open, that turns the draw into a push cut. All of a sudden, right. the face angle yep. falls on the wrong side of the path, and that completely throws the entire swing out of whack. And then you start to develop band-aids to try to make that work if you can't figure out where the issue is. So in my opinion, he's got to get better control of his club face as a starting point. I've never been a fan of that super, super weak grip for him. And uh, I would love to see his shaft a little bit more in line with the target for the most part consistently, not just on a specific shot shape he's trying to hit. And I would love to see that face in a little bit of a stronger position. So if that if that grip went a little stronger and then he he started, let's just say, feeling, you know, a little more across the line at the top, yeah. then the shaft we know for him undoubtedly is going to going to lay down all day. And then from there he would be able to kind of cover it better with a, a club face that he wouldn't have to worry about as being slightly. Open. Yeah. I mean, his pivots always been very good. It's just the problem is when yeah. you get these tiny details out of sync and they no longer work with his pivot, it's no different than what we said before about the high handicapper, the rotation's good, but the shaft doesn't match that high handicapper. If the club face gets a little open on him, him turning with that face a little open doesn't help him anymore. Yeah. Are you surprised that, it's went on this long. I mean, look, I don't like to say bad things about anybody, but I'm surprised that he hasn't made a team adjustment yet. I mean, and yeah. I'm not saying that I would do a better job than Cameron because Cameron obviously got him to multiple major championships and has done a phenomenal job with him. But at the same time, just like with players that I've dealt with who have gone to get another opinion, I think it's time for him to get a little bit of a different mindset from a different coach just to hear their thoughts. Yeah, it's part of the game now. It seems like players are going to bounce around and get different opinions, and maybe he has, you know, so. I'll tell you what. I've been working with Dylan Wu for a year now. Dylan's been playing excellent golf on the Corn Ferry. He's actually struggled mm -hmm. a little bit since coming back from the break because the feels that he had back then are no longer translating to the same way. He's missed a couple cuts in a row, and he's been a little bit frustrated. And the first thing I told him was, Pat Goss, who's a short game coach, knows your swing the best go and ask him what he sees and see if he sees something that I don't see. And that's not to say that I want him to stop working with me, but it's to say that for any tour player, there is nothing wrong with relying on multiple members to get you where you need to go. And Pat actually pointed out something that because I see Dylan swing every day, sometimes you can't catch up anymore because everything starts blending together. And he pointed out something that I didn't realize and we got him right back on track. So um, yeah. you know, I'm not opposed to that with my guys. I should, I don't think personally that any coach should be opposed to that, to be honest. No, it's good. I think that's a very honest and humble approach. And, and I don't think that every coach is like that for sure. I think it makes sense. And I do think it's kind of where the industry going because there's no shortage of teachers and specialists and information. So we're going to go to some different matchups now. <laughs> you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to flip it to the other side. Now. I'm going lefty. And I'm going Phil Mickelson because you watch Spieth swing. It's in many ways completely different than Phil. Of course. I mean, let's go back to our five factors here. The first is the same. Phil changes knee flex and always has. In fact, you know, for a while when he was working with Butch, I think Butch was trying to keep more flexion, you know, in his trail knee. But Phil's always kind of let the trail knee out. But when you go to the wrist angle, Phil 
is not flexed. Phil is very extended, very cupped in the lead wrist. Yeah. And he carries that down in transition, which of course gets the club shaft steeper mm-hmm. in transition. And Phil is not, I wouldn't say, a rotated player through impact. He's, you know, he can kind of look a little saggy. The handle can get high and he can use, you know, his hands a little bit more through the strike relative to what we've been talking about up to this point. Do you have any players right now that you teach that are similar to, let's say, a Phil Mickelson pattern or a Mark Leishman pattern? So the funny nature about being a coach is that players only come to you when they're struggling. So I have never once had a tour player come to me saying, I'm striking the golf ball. I just want a new coach to get it sick and look at it. I mean, that just (laughs) does not happen. And and so the reality is if a player is coming to me with that pattern and they're struggling, well, then obviously that pattern is not working. So the likeliness is I would be changing it. Now that situation is obviously very, very different with a guy like Phil because Phil's been on tour for 30 years. He's won who knows how many events, 40 something now, if I'm not mistaken, right? Five majors. Phil is not 21 years old struggling to get out onto the circuit. He's been there. He's done it. So if a guy like Phil came to me as a starting point, his DNA ain't changing. His foundation is not changing. Mm -hmm. That lead wrist is not changing. That steep shaft is not changing. So the goal of working with a guy like Phil wouldn't be so much to change his mechanics as much as to keep them into check where they're as functional as they can be while retaining his DNA. So if a guy like Phil came to me, you might shallow his club a little bit. You might change some forearm stuff in the backswing. You know, he tends to have a lot of early forearm rotation. That's a big reason also why his club face gets wide open. Um, you know, the shaft goes back very flat because of the forearm rotation. That's why he steepens it so much coming down. So I would work on some little details in that scenario, making the shaft work in the backswing a little bit better to be able to clean up the transition. But by no means would I start getting Phil into a shallow shaft angle coming down he would be toast i mean if phil starts coming Mm -hmm. down shallow with how little his body turns he's going to block it or push cut it worse than he's doing now imagine he can't find a fairway now if he started getting shallow how much he would struggle (laughs) you know it's funny when you're just listening to you talk i remember when i worked with fred funk for probably eight or nine years you know i remember one time we were hitting balls every once in a while i would push the envelope with fred and try to get him to kind of take the top off and try to break through the governor and hit it a little harder, mm-hmm. you know, and I would, I'd go after his knee flex. I'd go after his spine a little bit, the way he would load. And one time he looked at me and we were looking at it on video and he says, you know, my lead wrist is, is too bowed. And, and Fred's always had, you know, that slightly bowed wrist, not like DJ, but a little bowed. And I said, I said, well, what? I said, what do you mean? What's your point? Like, and he goes, well, I, I don't want it that boat. Let's take some of that out. And I said, Fred, if you start taking that out, if you start extending your lead wrist at the top, I'm going to walk out of this building and never work with yeah, you and again. He, and to be fair, he would, <laughs> you know? he would walk out of the PGA Tour really quick too. Yeah. I said, don't ever say that again, you know, because to your point, like that's the DNA, you know, like that is the DNA of his swing and, and he would probably never find a fairway again. It was just funny, like listening to the DNA and, you know, wrist angles, you know, there's certain things, right. That players do, and they've done it for a long time. I think it's fair to say with this pattern with Phil, he's, it's probably the greatest set of hands to ever play the game. Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, I, it's funny. Cause I had, I get this question a lot of people of like, how do you define skill versus technique for me personally? Like the simple way of looking at it is in like, 
a player who is not so skilled needs a better technique to support it. Whereas the more skilled yeah. you are, the more you can overcome technical deficiencies in your game. And so mm-hmm. uh, Phil is obviously somebody who relies on a lot of technical deficiencies that most golfers probably have in their swing and are struggling with. But why does Phil get away with it? Because he's literally that good with his hands. So yeah. it's not something yeah. you can teach. I mean, you can get players to improve it, but you'll never get it to improve to the level that Phil is at. I mean, that's just ridiculous, you know? Yeah, he's spraying it right now. Let me tell you I something. mean, this, like, the truth is, is this is another topic, right? Is the fact that he's also not hitting it that good right now. So at the same time, yeah. I would make some small changes. But again, that falls under the same category of I would manage his changes and make them better. But uh, you can't start overhauling a guy like pattern. I mean, you just can't do it. Right. I saw him post something today and he's working on width. Would you say with his pattern, width, of course, is you know, the hands kind of out away from the chest, you were talking about depth. That's kind of the, you know, the hands working around the player. Mm -hmm. Right. And then of course, height would be up and down. Would you say that width for him, probably a little more important given the nature of the extended lead wrist? I think it would, but I think he also needs to be careful in my honest opinion, because um, if he starts getting too wide in the backswing, he can only go one direction with that Mm -hmm. coming down. And he's already a very yeah. narrow player. So if he starts getting too wide in transition, he's likely to maybe react and get more narrow coming down, which isn't going to do him any benefits, right? Like wider in the backswing is good if you stay that much wider coming down. If you don't, you're just wasting your time. I think the width was there coming down too. It certainly did. Go check it out. It's I'll on, go, I'll it's go, on take, I'll go take a look, but again. Yeah, it does. It does look wider in both directions. It really does. And then another swing that's out there that I want to ask you about, of course, I have to ask you about Bryson. DeChambeau. I had Chris on the podcast right when they made the change and the speed was starting to just show up. I kind of got the feeling from like, we have to leave some breadcrumbs along the way so we can kind of work our way back just in case, you know, this doesn't pan out because as you know, these are some changes. I mean, you start making changes and speeding things up, things can go haywire. There's a lot of those examples on the PGA Tour. Speed certainly chased some speed as well. But you look at Bryce, I mean, what comes to mind when you're watching this guy carry it 360 over the fence right now in Vegas? He can't even hit on the range he's hitting it so far. Two things. Number one, the best thing he did for his speed was get the body in a position where he can support it. Funny, after Bryson won the U.S. Open, I think I got 10 different text messages from students saying, can we turn me into Bryson? So like, it literally <laughs> really? could be more cliche than that. Like people are going to want to start swinging wow. that way when you see a guy overpower a golf course. I mean, this is just the reality of it. Mm-hmm. And for every single one of those mm-hmm. people, I told them, number one, you better be working out five times a week. Number two, you better have a trainer to make sure you're working on the right muscle groups. I'm not a personal trainer, so I'm not going to be able to give them that exact information of what they need, which is why personal trainers exist. They are specialists at what they do. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, you know, are you ready to, to some degree, sacrifice a little bit of accuracy for it? Because what people don't realize about a guy like Bryson is that he's the 0.1 of the 0.1 of the 0.1% in the world. A guy like that can swing as fast as he wants. He'll still find the center of the club face. How often yep. can you find the center of the club face swinging out of your shoes? I mean, I don't know about you. I can't. I was talking with a tour player this morning, and it's a guy who plays in the Corn Ferry. He's swinging at about 113, 114, and he wants to get to 117 by next year. I told him, how often do you work out? He goes, mm-hmm. I, I don't right now. I said, well, you better get in the gym for the next three weeks before I tell you anything about trying to get any faster because 
at the same time, your body needs to be able to do that. Everyone laughs at Bryson because he got bigger. I think it's just the best thing he's done. His muscles are plenty strong enough to support his core when he's swinging that fast, right? People laugh at it until he wins a major and then they stop laughing. So I think getting the body in a position to be able to swing that fast is your number one priority beyond even swinging that fast. And then once you get to that point, are you skilled enough to swing that fast and still find the center of the club face? Because if you're not, where's the speed advantage gain in that? We saw Tiger get bigger. He was the longest, you know, he was dominant, of course. I'm not saying Bryson's Tiger, but, you know, Bryson's gotten yeah. bigger. And he's starting, he's not dominant yet, but what we saw at Wingfoot was fairly dominant, right? At a course that... um is usually the bully and he kind of, he bullied it himself. So it's interesting. You know, I, you look at Rory, he just posted something that, yesterday. 191 ball speed. He's one of the longest in the game for crying out loud. I mean, you cool him trying to push the I envelope. Have, I'll tell you what, to me, I, I love seeing that because as a starting point, Rory is smart enough to know that he's giving up way too many strokes off the tee to a guy like Bryson. You know, Rory is the, one of the best, if not the best driver of his era. But at the same time, if he's leaving 50, 60 yards to Bryson, how often can you make up those strokes approaching the green? Right. So Rory mm -hmm. just played with him. He was smart enough. He saw what was going on. He knew he needed to get more speed. And to be honest, Rory always seemed like a guy who could swing faster very easily if he wanted to. And he's plenty strong enough to be able to do it. So why wouldn't he want to gain that speed? At the end of the day, he's already one of the better drivers in the world. I can't imagine he's going to lose much accuracy doing this. So I love it personally. I'm a big fan. Yeah, I kind of thought when this all started, there was two people that I thought could go right now and get 10 to 15. Rory is one of them, and Tony Finau is the other. Those were the two that I thought, look, they could they could reach back right now and get 10 Well, I'll tell you what, I think Tony Finau is the longest guy on the PGA Tour, way longer than Bryson. I want to talk about one more player. You've probably heard of him. His name is uh, who's, Tiger who's Woods. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, he's won 82 times on the PGA Tour, and his first win was 24 years ago this wow. week. But there's really been four swings for Tiger. You know, and and I'll just attach him to the coach that he was working with. And we know there's other factors with players, right? Like we know that they're human beings and they're going through different things at yeah. different times. But, you know, Tiger, when he came onto this stage, was with Butch Harmon for many years. And then he went to Hank Haney. And then after Hank, he went to Sean Foley. And then, you know, into that transition about Sean is where his body started to probably break down. And then as he come back, he... He, of course, was coached or consulted, whatever, with Chris Como. So, and now he's by himself. Nonetheless, th those four guys helped shape Tiger in his particular patterns. When you look at Tiger over the years, would you pick one or two or, you know, how does it hit you with kind of the best version of Tiger from a, a swing standpoint? Okay, so the first thing I'm going to say is I think my favorite swing of Tiger is probably John Anselmo's from when he was younger. And the reason why I say this is because when I'll, I'll talk about every single one of those golf swings. I mean, I'm happy to give my opinion on them. You know, when he was working yeah. with Hank, he was obviously an elite ball striker, but really struggled off the tee. The reason, in my opinion, that Tiger struggled off the tee was because he was way more shallow coming down with Hank. He was swinging more from the inside. He was more shallow. Tiger notoriously is a very steep golfer of the ball, right? He does not have a shallow club coming down. And right. What Tiger has always done to pair the steepness of the club is he tends to have a very upright shoulder plane through impact. He's never been somebody who opens his chest out a ton unless he's hitting those stingers. If you ever look at Tiger through the golf ball, in, even in his prime, his hips are open. That chest is not very open at impact. And so 
What he has always done really well is he's always paired the Steve shaft with the tilting of the shoulders and keeping the chest closed to keep him very functional. Now, when he was working with Hank, he got the club into a shallower position coming down, but that obviously does not work with keeping your chest very close. So he was hitting it everywhere off the tee. Similar to what we just mentioned about what would happen with Phil if he were to start shallowing the club. And so that matchup is not great. So he was an elite ball striker with Hank, but he was not the best driver of the ball because it relied on way too much swinging from the inside with too much timing of the hands and he couldn't find a fairway to save his life. So there are pros and cons to what Hank's swing was, but I was never personally a big fan of it just because I didn't like that, that matchup between those two elements. With Butch... He was trying to steepen the club in the dancing. I mean, there are videos of him, of Butch Harmon and him on YouTube talking about yep. Tiger is trying to slow down his hips and get the club out in front of him. Now, am I a big fan of that field? I mean, for various reasons, I'm not. But at the same time, the reason why he played his best golf during that era, in my opinion, was because he was getting the club into less shallow of a position to match what his upper body was already doing through the golf ball, which kept him extremely functional. And then you match that with arguably the greatest hands in the world to combine it with a really good swing. I mean, obviously, he's going to win every tournament. Now, with John, with Anselmo, you know, he was a little short and across the line, but he would shallow the club like a champion. The thing that he maybe didn't do as well was he wasn't turning very well with his chest. So the club would get stuck behind him, right? You shallow the club, your body ain't turning. What's going to happen to the club? or your chest isn't turning specifically, club's going to get stuck. Hands are going to come down too far from the inside, and you're going to have to save it. When yep. he went to Butch, I can see why Butch would want to take him down the route he went, because it theoretically is fixing his problems. Now, it's maybe not the way I would have gone about it, but it does fix his problems. Butch was smart enough to see that, and obviously you can't you know, deny what, what they did together. So um, I liked a lot about John's swing because I liked a lot of the elements of, of that swing. So my, my, I mean, I know I'm dragging this along here, but my answer to your question is really, I liked different elements of different parts of his swing in those eras. I can't really say that there was one swing that stands out. I mean, obviously his, his swing with Butch was extremely functional. So you almost have to answer that. Now, what I love about Chris's swing is that, yeah. you know, he's not like so hunched over anymore. He was obviously a lot lower to the ground uh, before he went to go see Chris. You know, it certainly looks like with Chris, he got a little taller in the backswing. Um, and his shaft movement is coming down on a much more functional plane for what his chest is doing, which is what I like. With Sean, and I'll just say, like, for me, my least favorite was probably with Sean, you know, the, of, of the four swings. But he still got to number one in the world. He was predominantly, though, I think, more of a fader at that point. You know, every shot he hit was more left to right. He comes back with Chris, and as you said, not only was he taller, but I think he was more loaded. I think Tiger, to me, looked like he started loading more into the right side, where I think he did go through a period where he was hanging left, and that countered with the nature of his attack angle, as you talked about, um, was not conducive for the driver. And I liked how Chris kind of got him, I think, somewhat back a little bit maybe to a hybrid model of the early days and it certainly looks much better now and you know hopefully he can he can keep it together i didn't like what i saw at haynes valley i gotta say shaheen he looked he didn't look like he was moving well you know just a couple weeks ago hitting that little bunt fade out there you know probably 25 30 yards behind rory and jt so it's going to be interesting It, it really is i i don't think he's looked great here post covid but 
who's to say he can't come back and do it all over again. But man, in November and Augusta, you say 65 and Ray in Montreal, I, I think God would, uh, that's probably. I'll tell you say. what, I think that Tiger is going to continue to have random spurts of brilliance, but I mean, he'll never be winning tournaments week in week out he just can't do it anymore and i know you have a podcast too. tell our uh, listeners yeah my, my podcast is called how's my hand path and um the idea of the name kind of came from a joke of one of my students who said that after a really funny tee shot so we started laughing we thought it was it was a good it was a good way <laughs> to start off the pod and uh we kind of just do like we did me and you just right now we bring on a lot of coaches and we discuss a lot of golf talk i mean at the end of the day i love hearing people's stories about how they got into the game just because mine's a little different too so it is interesting to me and uh we talk golf swing so if you like hearing that kind of stuff come on in how do you manage the amount of swing thoughts you have because of all the students you're teaching and the all the knowledge versus just trying to hit a shot on the tee <laughs> well you know, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm kidding to some degree, you know, it's hard. I mean, I find days I'm out there and I'm, I'm not even thinking about what I'm doing, yeah. you know, like my own game. I, I have no problem standing the handle up and cranking off the yeah. toe once in a while. So, Hey buddy, thanks for your time. Go check them out on Twitter and Instagram. Good follow. How's my hand pass? Shaheen Noctavini. Thanks, thanks for joining dude. the Stripe Show podcast.